The Robert Scott the Bell Robert Show. The Robert Scott Bell Show. The voice of health, freedom, and liberty. The Robert Scott Bell Show. All right, another edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show begins right now. It is the Sacred Fire of Liberty special edition as uh, I'm heading to the Reawaken America tour in Nashville, Tennessee, courtesy Clay Clark and a whole other other a lot of cool people that are going to be there that actually love America and doing their best to uh, restore, reclaim, and uh, I guess save it. And that's a big theme here. Uh, we believe in the high ideals of the founders. And recognize, of course, there are always ways we can do better, but we got to know better. And since many generations have lost sight of the origin of, uh, you know, these American, uh, this American Republic, we do our best to bring that information and ground it back into the DNA of the Americans that uh, love freedom, but maybe some of them not sure why. And so we got this great, uh, great thing happening. Uh, my friend Jonathan Emord, who appears with me each week when we do the Sacred Fire of Liberty, uh, he has uh, got an exploratory committee. If you're new to the show, this may be news to you. And and even if it's a reminder, I don't mind reminding you because, folks, if he declares to run yet yeah, for the United States Senate in Virginia to be, defeat Tim Kaine less than two years from now, he'll win. And so uh, I'm excited about that. And I want to talk more about that tour coming up and the places we can be together on that. And just in general, the message of health, freedom, and healing liberty that's resonating all across this land, particularly when you realize how tenuous the grip, the hold is on freedom here. And the grip that they want to have on you is to restore something called tyranny, something our founders knew all too well from history and the present. We see it under the Biden administration, especially. Jonathan E. Moore, welcome back, my friend. Sacred Fire of Liberty officially kicks into gear right about now. All right. Can you hear me, Jonathan? Yes, sir. Okay, there you are. You're just like sitting there quiet. It's like, okay, I'll keep going. It's all right. <laughs> I'm just setting the stage for another uh, a, a great discussion with you. We've got a number of stories to cover as well. And I'm always intrigued to find out uh, about how the campaign's going. I understood you spoke at a health freedom rally in Virginia just uh, the other day. And, you know, I've got a backstory as well to that I'll share. But uh, what was the group? How were you invited? And what, what did you present? It's Dr. Sheila Fury's group called the Virginia Health Freedom Alliance, and it was quite a sizable crowd. It was really beautiful people out there who stand for individual rights and against the mandates. My goodness, they were strong in number and strong in conviction against uh, vaccine mandates. And I just saluted them and thought that was a wonderful opportunity to speak to them. And uh, they reciprocated. They sh really showed strong support for getting into the someone into the united states senate who's going to stand up for individual rights against these ridiculous mandates and ensure that it never happens again so it it was a wonderful uh occasion it, it was a thing called lobby day in uh, richmond for the uh various groups of uh activists all across the country uh, the state to come mm -hmm. to Virginia's capital and talk to legislators and explain their issues. So that was going on generally, but the groups that we were affiliated with there, the, the Second Amendment group, uh, Virginia uh, CDL, it's called, um, 
and and the Virginia Health Freedom Alliance were two that we were involved with heavily through the day. And uh, it was great. We also were interviewed by the Tea Party of Virginia and the head of the Tea Party there. Uh, great interview again. And I understand that's going out to all their members. There are quite a few members of the Virginia Tea Party across the state. So all good. Um, as you know, Robert, I'm getting very excited that I'm going to be able to see you uh, in Hollywood and in uh, in other parts of the country as we do these kickoff, uh, these, these fundraisers. And we have something like, I don't know, I think we're up to nine fundraisers across the United States. Uh, mm -hmm. Looks like there's a groundswell of support for this. And we are coming close to a decision. In fact, I've given my crew um, January 31st as a date for decision. Mm -hmm. and, um, well, it's, this is very exciting, Jonathan. I, I, I just like I said, I'm ecstatic. I can vision. I really have a strong vision of you on the floor of the United States Senate, uh, waxing eloquently on the Constitution, on the limitations that the Constitution places on government and the restoration of constitutional governance uh, in a body that is abandoned as well. It's constitutional role as the United States Senate. Uh, in addition to your representation of the state, of, you know, or the Commonwealth of Virginia, as it used to be before, I believe, the 17th Amendment, you were selected by the legislature. Now it's a, a popular election, which I believe you will win. Uh, but at the same time, recognizing that, you know, there was the, the people's house for the purpose of uh, having representation for the people and the states also need representation in the federal government that they both created. And that's, again, something that's lost when they look at federal supremacy for everything. And I think people get the supremacy clause so wrong when they think it means they can do anything, even if it violates the Constitution. Well, people are getting what the founding fathers got. And that is that if you grow government, you necessarily take away individuals' freedom of choice and rights. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have enormous government everywhere in this country. And the mandates are really a symptom of uh, the, the overall denial of individual freedom of choice and replacing that with government fiat or government plans. So you end up with everything from entering a, a business just to open a gas station. You've got to comply with all these EPA and state regulatory requirements. And you end up with uh, a whole host of inspections and it, 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 it makes it difficult to open any business. You open a bakery, you've got the health inspectors coming all the time. You try to get into the to any profession, you got to pay for all the licensing fees. You got to go through all the examinations and so on. We just have government everywhere. And the problem is the false assumption that having government everywhere and taking away freedom of choice results in a better outcome. And the reality is it's groupthink. It's all based on, okay, this group is going to be subjected to these regulations and they will be for the public good or the public interest. Mm -hmm. And what invariably happens is that politics, because government is wed to politics, you end up with, uh, like we have now, individuals with a far left agenda dictating to you what you are going to do. So here you are, you are an officer in the military or a non-commissioned officer in the military for years you have uh, served your country well and faithfully and all of a sudden you find out that you have to uh, agree to and basically participate in a woke 
a critical race theory agenda where people are going to be divided by race in the military. Military used to be a place where race consciousness was rooted out. I remember my father when he was in the United States Air Force at the end of uh, the Vietnam era was mm -hmm. uh, pleased that he thought that uh, the military had accomplished a, uh, uh, a race blindness that no matter who you were, no matter what your race was, if you were an American in the military dedicated to fight and give up your life if necessary to save your country, you were all part of a brotherhood and sisterhood that was uh, to be fully respected. And there was no room for uh, segregation or, or violation of people's rights based on race. I remember one time my dad, when we first came to Chinook Air Force Base, that no longer exists, but it was closed. But Chinook Air Force Base in Illinois, Rantoul, Illinois, the quartermaster, my father was coming in as the senior enlisted advisor to the general on the base. And uh, the quartermaster said, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, if we delay your arrival for a week, we can get you quarters that are not uh, adjacent to uh, a black family. And my father, who was very strongly anti-racism, mm -hmm. uh, said in response to that, very cool cucumber, my dad, he mm -hmm. said, uh, well, look, my wife is black, so I have no problem. And then uh, <laughs> we arrived and then my dad got rid of that quartermaster. That was one of the first things that he did was drum him out of the Air Force because he nice. said there's no room whatsoever for this kind of racism in the United States Air Force. That's that's coming back with this critical race theory. And mm -hmm. it needs to be rooted out because once you divide people in the military based on race, can you imagine you're in a combat scenario and you're, you, you've been indoctrinated to think that advancement needs to be predicated on race and that uh, you have to remedy past injustices of one race against another by uh, creating new injustices of uh, race today. That whole concept is so repulsive and it really offends career military people. Like I was saying in the beginning of the conversation, a lot of these guys are getting out and they're getting out because they understood this to be a brotherhood and a sisterhood that was united in arms to defend this country. And they, they revered the military because of the fact that the races melded together in, in unison to defend the country. And now this, this strident, very um, intentional effort to divide is happening and it's ruinous. And not only that, they're reducing to a common level of mediocrity, uh, the service component. So they're saying, oh, we need more people in the military. What we'll do is we'll reduce basic training. We'll uh, reduce the the uh, the kinds of things that are required of you so that, you know, you, you no longer have to be as physically fit as you were before. So that, that that's that's not the answer here. The answer is excellence, as it always is. Strive to get the best uh, people in the in the country who are physically able and uh, exceptional to come into the military um, and be the best you can be. And and that's that's that used to be the theory. The idea was and you 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 deviate from this. And what you end up with is a very dangerous situation for national security. Jonathan, they, they, of course, hijack and alter the language so that even if you speak about the things we've just discussed, they'll somehow label or try to slap a label on you or me or any of us. And it's 
you know, the idea of, of group think or group dynamics and, and then uh, granting special privileges that they call rights wrongly uh, because you're a member in a group, it, it does not bring people together. It divides them. And I think purposefully, even though some people fall prey to the idea that it's the only way we can establish equality. And of course, we've heard the term equality converted into equity and equity being a code word for communism the lowest common denominator, making everybody equally, uh, you know, poor and, and, and dependent upon the state. And then, of course, the people who are high up at the, in the state uh, enjoy all the benefits of, of kings and queens and emperors while everybody else is thrown a crumb or two. Uh, and this is something that I'm asking for an awakening for people to really relearn history because, um, look, at, look there, here's an article uh, out of Florida, the Orlando Sentinels reporting on DeSantis. Uh, going after the uh, universities, for instance, uh, because they're teaching this kind of woke ideology. And they will not discuss, for instance, dictatorships, uh, abuses of human rights in certain areas or history, like particularly in South America. And uh, I think this is um, based on the law that DeSantis signed in last year, the Stop Woke, it was dubbed Stop Woke uh, Law, uh, banning the teaching of a once esoteric academic concept called critical race theory, in state universities, colleges, and K through 12 schools. Now, a federal court has temporarily blocked the law, which prohibits the, the teaching, uh, you know, that uh, people who are, are privileged or oppressed based on their race, color, nationality, or sex, with a judge describing as positively dystopian violation of professor's First Amendment rights. So, you know, this is an interesting, I would say, discussion point when we say, look, we want to get rid of this woke ideology and this teaching of automatically you're racist or you're an, you're the oppressed simply by the, the color of your skin. Uh, and yet we do recognize the First Amendment protects the, you know, the rights of those to speak in certain ways. But when the government funds or the, the funds that are uh, collected from taxpayers through government into universities, shouldn't there be some kind of control legitimately in terms of what can be taught or can't be taught, or is that a vi total violation of the First Amendment? What do you have a perspective? How do you communicate that? Well, here's here's the uh, here's the point. Um, the state is obliged under the First Amendment to avoid viewpoint-based discrimination and speaker-based discrimination. You cannot be punished because you have a viewpoint that disagrees with the teacher or professor. And the professor does have constitutional rights of, of free speech. However, the professor is a, a agent of the state when they're employed by a public university or public college. Uh, and as a result, that individual has an obligation. And that obligation is to avoid discrimination against others based on their race, their gender, uh, their ethnicity, or whatever creed they have. That's their obligation. The problem with critical race theory mm -hmm. is that it immediately, by definition, focuses on race as a vehicle for distinguishing between people and takes the rather absurd, because it's contrary to reality, proposition that everyone in a group of mm -hmm. a particular race has been discriminated against and is systemically discriminated against by every institution in society and by whites, whether they intend it or not. That concept is a necessarily divisive concept that violates the rights of the students uh, to freedom of speech 
and also their equal protection rights under the 14th Amendment. So the best angle for this is to have the state expand the vehicles available for students to take legal action and obtain redress against uh, universities that engage in critical race theory and divide students based on race or teach them uh, to, to in, in ways that discriminate, uh, discriminate against mm -hmm. one race or another. Um, we see that here in Loudoun County. I've been vocal and in Fairfax County, and I've been a vocal critic of that. In Fairfax County, Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, Westfields High School and Langley High School, uh, all in, are using discrimination against Asians. Uh, they call Asians white adjacent. That whoa, is whoa, whoa. White they're discriminated against white adjacent. White adjacent. I've never heard that term. What, what they are they? Call, they call so they this group think is very divisive and very harmful when it's a racial discrimination thing in particular. And what they're doing is uh, they've they've contracted with four hundred and fifty five thousand dollars or thereabouts um, mm -hmm. uh, directly with a group that's basically an Abram Kindy group, Abram Kindy group that. Uh, advocates um, segregating people based on race and causing, uh, they call it anti-racism, but what it does is it's new, it's using racism to rectify racism of the past. It's insane. You, you discriminate intentionally against whites and Asians to benefit those that are in preferred categories of individuals who have been discriminated against in the past. So this is going on in the Fairfax County schools. Wow. And it, it resulted in kids who uh, were Asian, who had um, achieved high on the Merit Scholar program to have their Merit Scholar awards delayed. They were not given them by the, uh, the principals in time for their early admission applications to the universities. Uh, and so they were discriminated against and disadvantaged based. So they, they were punished solely based on their, I guess, racial heritage, if you will, Asian heritage. So, yeah. So they have this this ridiculous thing. They they call, uh, you know, they discriminate against whites because they say that that they're um, there. There's white supremacy basically inherent in your flesh tone. And that makes you an evil person. And they teach them that you know, no matter what you do, if you're in a minority, you're going to lose out to the whitey because that's just the way it is in our systemically racist society. And so uh, that, that you know, group think what's really racism, overt racism, um, is, is, is taught uh, from the earliest grades forward. And then um, when it comes to uh, Asians, they found that Asians had a disproportionate, they say, level of academic achievement. The reality is that in the Asian cultural community and Asian families, there's significant emphasis on academic achievement, as we know. I mean, that's been the history. Well, of what happens when you value something, you work hard for it. And of course, the parents that's discipline their children to, to be focused there. Particularly true of, of American immigrant uh, populations who want to get ahead and a new culture, they work very hard. Parents who are from those countries, they want their children to succeed, of course. And so there is a strong emphasis. And particularly when you have Asians coming from countries that 
themselves did not provide them with the uh, opportunities or actually they suffered uh, political abuse or suppression and, and, and in their quest to become um, succeed. So they're here in large measure because of their desire for an open society where their kids can compete and succeed. So their kids compete something like 70% of the kids going into Thomas Jefferson High School for Science and Technology, which is one of the best in the country. Mm -hmm. It's considered number one in science and technology by many. Anyway, 70% of the new admissions based on meritocracy were um, populated by Asian students. In order to follow this ridiculous equity, inclusion, diversity agenda, which is the opposite of, of di diversity, um, they decided to reduce that by 20 percentage points. So they artificially reduced the admissions by not giving kids who had scored extremely well, who just happened to be Asian, the opportunity to enter. So they and, punished people who were members of groups that were not favored suddenly. Right. And, and they start labeling them uh, with this racist, uh, new racist label, which is white adjacent. So that the whites are discriminating against everybody in the school system appears to accept that, except to them. who are largely keeping their mouths shut. But you've got the administration pushing this idea that you know there needs to be discrimination against whites because whites are white supremacists all along the Ibram Kindi kind of line, and then you end up with oh well Asians well Asians are are coming in in larger numbers oh well. Asians are really, they're, 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 they're like whites. Well, they're like white adjacent. And so then they have this white adjacent terminology. It's very repulsive, very, very offensive. They just made that up. If I step back and look at it from a distance and try to describe what's happening here, they're basically using racism to defeat what they say is systemic racism just by the very creation of you and you happen to have less pigment than someone else for Kendi's, that's kendy's idea and and it's swept at academia all across the country and the national wow. education association and everything else i mean they're all major advocates of this new racism and i'll tell you it's very clear to me that that desantis is right racism should not exist anywhere in the world certainly should not exist here and we should not cons you know make it institutionalized sure but school. like like your right. father, though, in that story, it didn't require an act of government to root it out. Your father recognized this, this is disgusting. Well, I'll tell and you what we need to do. We need we need true school choice, hmm. but we also need to invest in uh, uh, kids, the power in their parents, the power to sue uh, schools that are engaged in these practices that are discriminating against them. and And that means that uh, under the 1964 Civil Rights Act, there needs to be more Justice Department activity to sue on behalf of kids. That'll never happen under this attorney general. Uh, but that's the objective. When we get a Republican president, we'll have the Republican attorney general pursue that. Um, it should be pursued regardless of political party. But the Democrat Party has taken on this mantle, too. They're fully in. They're 100 percent in on this idea of using discrimination. That's why they are favoring reparations around the country. It's absurd. I mean, no one living has is is uh, involved in slavery, and yet they're going to tax and punish um, all, all people to yeah. support reparations for people who themselves were not enslaved, 
on the groupthink assumption that no matter who you are, this fits in with CRT, right? No matter who you are, if you are a person of color, you are necessarily discriminated against and have had your opportunities taken away from you and you're a victim and you need to have uh, the rest of society, meaning whites and I suppose also um, a white adjacents, Asians, um, be, uh, be forced to finance a reparation to pay you. And that what this does is it takes people who, do, who have not committed a tort or any other uh, wrongful action or crime, punishes them as if they, they were committing those crimes mm -hmm. and redistributing in mass money to people, many of whom are, are, are uh, actually, even though they, they, uh, they say in this, this statute for San Francisco, mm -hmm. identify as African-American for the last 10 years, identify as African-American or identify as black. The problem with this is that not only is it outrageously unjust, a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment, and a real offense against um, society based on racist assumptions. I mean, we're not that stupid. But in addition, it's a real problem because once you go down this rabbit hole, mm -hmm. I mean, everybody has been discriminated against some at some point in history. Irish people were discriminated against in this country when there were Irish immigrants coming to this country. People from uh, with Indian heritage were discriminated against when there were in every discriminated against in India people from India when he made those racist slurs about um, uh, 7-Elevens being run by uh, uh, Indians testing yeah. racist slurs. The po point is that yeah, this happens, and on an individualized basis, mm -hmm. you have been denied, and you have proof that you have been denied an economic opportunity or have suffered like in the, the Fair, Fairfax County schools, adverse action by government against you based on race, you have an absolute right to sue and obtain yeah, a request that is equal in measure to what the law provides for that. And that's your right. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But when you instead broadly categorize people and say everybody who's either has a flesh tone that they think mm -hmm. is, is one they'll describe as black, or in this case, also in, uh, in yeah. San Francisco, so anybody who identified as black for 10 years um, is, is now able to get millions of dollars given to them by the government. So at the huge expense of taxpayers, uh, it, it's outrageous redistribution based on racist assumptions that are simply false. Jonathan, I always look at this and I try to go, how, how deep does this go? Where, where's the origin point of this? And we can go back, of course, historically and, and understand uh, systems of government that have been uh, foisted upon us. Uh, we talked about progressivism, uh, collectivism as it manifests as socialism and communism that requires pitting you know, people against other people and a government to come in and rescue you. And the irony, of course, is that everybody is enslaved by that. Uh, so I think that many people who feel like there is uh, some sort of justice in this effort uh, end up victimized, truly victimized by collectivism. And that is a, a, an ultimate affront to our humanity and I think our spiritual essence. And I, I have to go here again because if, if we recognize that we're all created in God's image, and I don't believe that means this skin that I have and or the body that I have, I think something deeper, you know, in terms of a soul or spirit that 
it doesn't know color differential differential it's something more deeply aligned with who we truly are a true identity and yet we are so confused and 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 purposefully i think distance from one another by saying, no, 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 no. It's all about the group that you're in. And that group is determined not by even what you think, but by what you look like. I mean, we're going into childhood, uh, Dr. Seuss books like star belly sneeches to say how, how easy it is to manipulate people and divide them based on how you look. Now you and I would acknowledge there are butthead people. I'm just going to say it that way that have horrible views that disgust us in terms of racial, uh, you know, uh, views of the world. But the vast majority of people that I encounter, white, black, red, yellow, doesn't matter, don't have those views because they look at each other as human beings, much like we just had MLK Day uh, earlier in the week. And yet you have Biden up there talking about hating on people who have a conservative view, a constitutional view, and the right to keep and bear arms, uh, which is a defense uh, right that's not granted by government, but granted by God to all of us, no matter what color you, you are. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I'm a, a big admirer of Martin Luther King III and Martin Luther King Jr., precisely for what you're saying. I had the privilege of uh, addressing a corporate audience years ago, uh, Longevity, um, with Martin Luther King III, and, and we, are, we were one. And, 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 that's, and that's characteristic of Martin Luther King uh, Jr. I mean, he was saying exactly what you're saying, essentially. That is that, look, we are all one people. Pigment is irrelevant to who you are. It's who you are is defined by your brain. Our brains are indistinguishable in the sense that we are each people who have our own perspectives on things. And if you tie that to race, you end up with division that hurts everybody. Only when you focus on the essence of the person and we work together as Americans and understand that our future is tied together, that we appreciate in the end that, uh, look, pigment is irrelevant. Pigment is irrelevant. Only when you make it relevant does it then have this poisonous effect of causing people to question your class association with race. That's the worst thing. That was what built the Jim Crow era. We're, be- we're going back there with this whole effort by Kindy and others to focus on an irrelevancy, which is pigment. What we should be focusing on is the content of our characters, which is what Martin Luther King wanted us to do. Martin Luther King wanted all people to be inheritors of the second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence, the promise that all men are created equal, by which it, he, he understood, as did Jefferson, that the word man there means mankind, which means not only men, but women and people of all races. Um, The most sophisticated people on the planet over the years have been really overwhelmed with disgust at the resurgence of racism that is being advocated by the Democrat Party uh, and by leading figures in the CRT movement. It's so destructive. It hurts our kids. Our kids grow up uh, in America before this CRT nonsense without any view tied to race. I mean, by and large, we had through the civil rights era destroyed that kind of uh, racism in this country. And then now they're forcing it back in. So kids, I mean, I I can't tell you the number of people Mm -hmm. I've spoken with of color people 
who have told me, look, I don't want my child to hear every day that he or she is a victim. Yeah, that's not. I want them to hear that they're going to succeed in America. I want them to hear about how they can take advantage of economic opportunities. I want them to be taught so that they can succeed. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm all ears. I, I I hear that and I understand. And likewise, I've heard from parents, many parents too, who say, you know, just because my kid is white, that my child is is a wonderful person. That's not a racist. We've taught our children from, you know, infancy that. Race is irrelevant. That the content of people's character is what ma matters, and you should l respect all people. And here they go to school, and they're told that their race makes mm -hmm. them a white supremacist, and that no matter how hard they try to be a good person, it's irrelevant because in the end, their white race is going to determine their outcome in life. I mean, this is really harmful. But and people, people that want to hold power over you love to convince you that you're a victim that you have no you know choice but to reach out to you know government for for equity right we're gonna we're gonna punish everybody because you feel victimized by or you're convinced that you're victimized by it despite the reality that you have a connection to the source of all freedom and all creation and all wisdom and that is god and i know everybody's got different beliefs about that and i acknowledge that's a unique aspect of the united states as well founded on religious freedom religious liberty but the idea that we could institutionalize racism again through CRT, who would want to do that except those that want to victimize a significant portion of our population and then own and control them? And right. that, my friends, is a form of slavery, down. too. Right. So they are overt about this in CRT. They want to tear down all structures, all government, all private mm -hmm. sector structures on this notion that they will paint everyone as uh, 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 an oppressor against people of color. And so they create this falsehood that you can't succeed if you're a person of color in this country, rather than teach, of course, that you will succeed as a child of color and all children will succeed and that treating children equally is what it's about. So you want to set an example for kids in school about equal treatment. You want all kids to treat each other equally, regardless of race or gender or whatever. You want them to treat each other as they deal with each other equally. Instead, what they're doing is segregating kids based on the, whatever group they're in and causing them to be antagonistic by telling one, you're an enemy of the other. And, and this whole thing, of course, leads to racism. So then it leads to violence of kids of color against white kids and white kids against kids of color. And we have the civil rights revolution all over again, total destruction because of this ridiculous and evil thing, which is racism. And, and what I don't understand is how on earth we are tolerating this. So I have sympathy for what DeSantis is doing. I think that there, that, that uh, another way of achieving that outcome without uh, running afoul of the First Amendment mm -hmm. uh, rights being insisted upon by these teachers is to focus on the discriminatory effects of this right. reintroduction of racism and remedying those effects by actions on a case-by-case -case basis driven in part by private litigation, but also by litigation brought through the schools. And furthermore, I think there ought to be federal auditing of schools that receive federal funds to ensure that none of those schools 
are engaged in a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment by mm -hmm. segregating people based on race, discriminating against people based on race. And that needs to be done. The states can do the same thing. For example, under uh, right now, uh, Attorney General Jason Mayoris in Virginia is investigating these schools in Fairfax County to determine whether they're engaged in racist practices that would justify action against them under the Virginia Human Rights Act, uh, which would be, you know, and that sort of thing, I think, is the way to handle this. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think it's less prone to being attacked. Sure. But yes, a state school has an obligation to avoid viewpoint discrimination and discrimination against individual speakers. Yeah. And, and what you find also with these schools right now is that not only are they teaching the CRT, they're denouncing anything that criticizes their teaching. This is straight yeah. out of the uh, cultural revolution. In fact, you know, when, when we come back, I'm going to pause and want to talk about some upcoming events, but Sheila Jackson Lee is promoting that idea of basically discriminating against anybody or making uh, uh, a criminal of anybody who criticizes non-white people. I, I'm going to get to that in a moment, but Jonathan, we have upcoming events, some of which you are definitely engaged in part of. And if you go to the upcoming events tab at robertscottbell.com, uh, you can see them, including, uh, you know, where I'm heading uh, today uh, to the uh, big event that uh, Clay Clark is hosting, and that's the Reawaken America Tour. We're going to get a lot of cool interviews tomorrow and through the weekend. Uh, also, later in February, the 18th and 19th, that's a Saturday and a Sunday, Jonathan participated in it in real time, in real life, so to speak, when we were all together at the Health Freedom Expo outside of Chicago. And the virtual expo, which replaced everything, even if you were there, you couldn't see it all because there were simultaneous presentations as well. And uh, amazing health freedom panel discussions we had. And there's going to be even more that is submitted for this event, the virtual event, Health Freedom Expo. So go to uh, TrinityHealthFreedomExpo.com for 30 bucks. You'll have access for three months to all that we did there and even more that's uh, coming for this event. And that's, again, February 18th and 19th. And right after that, I'll head to the Atlanta area. I'm going to see mom and, and all my friends out there at the uh, uh, Next Steps conference. And my friend Tia Severino has set that up. There's a lot of good people, a lot of people you know that will be there 22nd through the 25th. We'll be doing some birthday fun for me, and that that's over that time. And that will be at Lake Lanier Islands Resort and a three-day event that I'd love for you to be there, setting up parallel uh, tracks of freedom, freedom, health freedom. Uh, Peter McCullough is scheduled there, and he's been brilliant as a uh, board-certified cardiologist. He's been attacked simply because he appreciates science and validates the things that he does and says, and, and I appreciate that so much. So it's coming together, all healing professions. That's wonderful as well. And Jonathan, I want to come back to your uh, uh, run for the Senate. It's not official yet, but you have an exploratory committee. You mentioned that let's look out for January 31st for a big announcement. I'm very excited about that. And following that announcement, we've got some special events coming up February 7th in the villages in Florida, uh, near Ocala. Uh, and that's going to be an amazing event. The, uh, 9th of February in Palm beach, special event to save America. And I'm, and where am I getting all of this? If you go to emord4va.com, emord4virginia.com, and that's it linked up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. You click on the events tab and you'll see February 10th in Orlando. Once again, thanks to our good friend Casey Krejci uh, from Living Fuel supporting Jonathan on the 10th of February, a big event in the Orlando area. Then uh, two in a row that I'm planning to be at, and I want to see you guys there. 
the 18th of February, special event to save America in Glendale, California, near Hollywood area, near Burbank. And uh, there's some friends that are going to be special guests. You'll be excited to meet when you're there at that event, the 18th, it's a Saturday. And then Monday, the 6th of March, Scottsdale, Arizona, which I plan to be at. I've already got people from that area planning to be there as well, which I'm very excited about. Then the 23rd of March, Raleigh, North Carolina, the 15th of April, Omaha, Nebraska, and more will be added. You guys want to be participating in the making of a history that pushes forward a future that embraces freedom, that limits government and maximizes your opportunity to to create the most amazing and incredible life, which is, I believe, what the founders had intended for us. Maximize freedom, limit government, and watch people find a way to innovate and do wonderful things. And, of course, we have it in our best interest when government and other third-party interveners are out of the way to get along with one another. It's in our best interest, and we find that we can do that except when we get interfered with by entities that love to divide us, conquer us, make us live in fear like we've been talking about, or divide us by group membership. Yeah, when we trust in the individual to decide for themselves what's in their own best interest and allow them to express themselves by innovation in the marketplace and by choosing their own life's course and what's best for them and not interfere with them unless they hurt somebody else, basically following Jefferson's definition of liberty, uh, we end up with a society where we have constant innovation, where we have economic growth, where we have better future for all of our kids where we have the chance to express and realize our dreams. And Mm -hmm. uh, that is the hallmark characteristic of America to the world that is being destroyed right now. And we don't have to live with inflation running through the roof. We don't have to live with high gas prices. We don't have to live with racism in our schools. We don't have to live with a uh, government mandating that we wear masks or be vaccinated or have our kids be vaccinated as a condition of going to school. We can tear down all the things that are responsible in government for that. You remember that, remember that Thomas Jefferson wisely stated very simple yet profound words. Uh, He said that I'm not a friend to a very energetic government. It is always oppressive. What we need is energy and freedom and not energy in government. When we give government the power to decide our futures and to run our lives, we end up being slaves. People don't really appreciate the full extent of that. Remember how it was in the pandemic. Didn't you feel like you were enslaved? I mean, when you were told by a governor or by the president that you couldn't meet with your relatives over holidays, that you could not have uh, even leave your house in certain instances that you couldn't go to places of worship. Uh, You couldn't congregate in groups. You couldn't go to anywhere you ordinarily would to the theater or whatever. Uh, And they started to dictate your, you know, you have to put something over your face all the time. I mean, there were at, at one point they were saying you had to wear masks, multiple masks all the time. Then they suddenly realize, oh, people have to eat. So I guess they don't wear it. And then the the whole thing was so ridiculous, telling people that in the case of Matt Strickland, who I just love Matt Strickland, in the case of Matt Strickland, uh, my client who has Gourmelts, I mean, my goodness, they were telling people that if you go in and you sit down at the table, you don't have to wear a mask. But if you stand up, you do. And if you go 
if you go to the bar and you're right up against the bar, you have to wear a mask, but unless you're actually drinking, in which case you would then be able to take off the mask. But if you stand a foot away from the bar, you could take off your mask if you're seated. So, yeah. I mean, all this stuff, what you're going to give here, you go into a restaurant. Here's a rule book. Now, mm -hmm. these are the conditions under which you have to wear a mask. This is when you get to not wear the mask. Um, then in addition, you can't be, you have to be six feet apart. In addition and to how that, many businesses were destroyed by these ridiculous well, rules that well, were not rooted in science? I mean, how many people's whole livelihoods were taken from them? Whole businesses destroyed and shuttered. How many kids have lost years of their lives because they weren't allowed to be in school? How many kids have uh, learning disabilities that were aggravated by this? How many kids sure. really, I mean, how many kids have committed suicide because of this? Jonathan. It, this incredible destruction of our society because some idiot thought that the Bill of Rights could be made secondary to addressing a virus. And then they give you a one size fits all approach to address it, dictated by who? Mm. Well, I'll say that obscenity, I guess. Anthony yeah. Fauci. Right. And we should recognize those two words as an obscenity. Yeah. Anthony Fauci, Dr. That's Anthony. The other F word now. Hey, yeah. Jonathan, the admissions now coming fast and furious from cdc uh different people in media going um well we now acknowledge that you know and it's like these mini mea culpas but not really and then they still want to be the authoritative experts that you look to after all of the absolute i mean to say that got it wrong is i don't know how you say it stronger than that because it's an understatement and i'm well, i mean robert look look at the the, the reality here I mean, they did get it dreadfully wrong. I mean, people's lives have been lost. People have had relatives die in isolation that they could not interact with before they died. I mean, mm -hmm. heart-wrenching stories of ruinous things that have come about kids who have died prematurely. Um, you know, all of it, when you take it in the aggregate, it is so overwhelmingly bad. So they're forced to say something, even though they defended this the whole way through. They, they, they should, but, you know, in, in the Japanese culture, I'm not saying they should commit Harry Carey, but the, at least, you know, so be so humiliated by how wrong they were that they would resign in, 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 in just, then yet they still want to maintain, well, I'm still the person to go to. And, and uh, you know, I keep seeing this, Jonathan, and well, this is what I that, Robert, they're coming yeah. back with, oh, now let's, we're going to re reimpose the mask mandate on public transportation. And we are re going to list on boosters yeah. and we're going to, before your kid can come to school, they're going to have to have those boosters. And this yeah. whole thing, despite all the evidence, despite all the information, despite everyone in the whole uh, society realizing, hmm. Yeah. There's some problems here. I mean, even people look at look at this. Look at this. If you just trusted the doctor-patient relationship, if you just trusted independent professional advice based on your peculiar health, unique health status, and gave doctors the license freedom to mm -hmm. do whatever was necessary to save you instead of this one size fits all protocol dictated by the federal government on COVID. We would have saved thousands and thousands of lives. People would have gotten early treatment with ivermectin, early treatment with hydroxychloroquine, which was wrongly condemned and still is being condemned by these medical boards. And they're taking doctor's licenses away. Any instance where in this crisis, where people have a new virus that was potentially lethal 
and not allowing people who are in the medical community the freedom to address it in innovative ways mm -hmm. so that we could have come up with the best solution to it by, by enabling doctors to have case studies, which is what happened with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. There were these case studies. What happened to those doctors? They were ostracized. I mean, Dr. Robert Malone, totally mm -hmm. ostracized, ruined, attacked viciously because they had a view that dissented from the orthodoxy of the government. Oh, yeah, the narrative. And, and, and all, you know, the Twitter files showing intentional effort by the government to use the media as proxies to censor these people's speech. This violates the First Amendment and it violates not only the rights of the speaker, but every American's right to receive information mm -hmm. and evaluate on their own the best interest for themselves and their family. That was that is the meaning of the First Amendment. It is our right. Yeah. The restriction on, on freedom of speech is deadly. And it's proven to be deadly. It, it kills right. people. You think about, well, it's just we didn't want misinformation to get out there. But the things that I was reporting on from the very beginning, even as we didn't know a lot, called into question a lot of the conclusions they were coming to very it early on. Off. I mean, remember, we'd be on shows and those shows would be kicked off. I mean, you're still are you yep. still booted off of some of these things? Robert? Well, we're still banned on YouTube and Spotify. And right now, LinkedIn as well. I'm not sure why. Yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's a legacy of censorship out of this whole thing with the government being behind it. What we're finding out is that these people who swore oaths to uphold the Constitution and were supposed to be your representatives, Joe Biden and these people, even in the bureaucracy who swore oaths to uphold the Constitution, these people intentionally behind the scenes like the cockroaches that they are because they... Mm -hmm operate in the dark they don't allow public scrutiny i mean they didn't they, they never came before forward in the beginning of this and said oh we're going to use censorship because there's an emergency and we are not going to allow free debate about the covid vaccine and we're not going to allow free debate about a number of sensitive political issues for us that's how we're going to rule everyone has said you're a dictator. What are you talking about? That can't happen here in America. Instead, mm -hmm. they did it behind the scenes. They did it with the FBI's assistance. They did it with the media's assistance. They did it with big tech's assistance. They coerced and cajoled these people. A lot of them were happy to do it because they agreed with the government's take on it. I mean, this is outrageous. Outrageous. And, and, and Jonathan, outrageous. more recently, we've been hearing that they're even acknowledging that Oh, we may have overcounted the COVID cases. You know, we were reporting on the fact that if you went into the, the hospital having been hit by a bus or a, you, a gunshot victim, they would say you died of COVID no matter what, because there was an economic incentive at a time where, you know, what do you think was going to happen when a hospital that needed a budget? Just check this box. We'll send you money. And we pointed that out. And then we were censored for that. Now they're acknowledging it. Can you imagine how much of the wrong response that happened because they exaggerated somewhere, sometimes upwards of 90% in excess of what was reality? How would so, we have responded in reality if we knew that at the time? Like Robert, we did? At this health freedom event that was at the Capitol in Richmond, it was fantastic because a lot of people who, who spoke were actually victims uh, of the vaccine's injury. And what was so interesting uh, from Dr. Robert Malone, um, who spoke, uh, he was on an airplane at the time, but spoke um, virtually to the to the crowd, uh, was his his um, 
evidentiary-based observation now that the adverse consequences of the vaccine, when people actually suffer those consequences, are not at all replicated with those who actually had the virus. The interesting thing is that the people who had the virus itself actually had far, far less of the spike protein circulating in their bodies right. than the people who were vaccinated with the, the mRNA. mRNA yeah. and, and the reason is that the, the mRNA, of course, causes your DNA to produce the spike proteins and it creates a factory generating that in your body mm -hmm. as opposed to the outside infiltration of the virus. What's interesting, and now we're talking about a virus that's replicating rapidly in your body, the, the COVID-19 virus, but the, the quantitative amount of virus in each person is apparently less than the amount of virus. Of, that's of, where we get into the gain of function. Of the, so, the, yeah, so the weaponizing of these yeah, things. So he's saying that the recovery of those who do recover from natural infection and gives them a fulsome immunity that covers more than just the spike protein aspect is, is far greater without lingering adverse uh, physiological effects than those who are vaccinated. Hmm. And, and that's, that's a telling criticism. That's a profound criticism, which of course is probably still not allowed by big tech or whatever. I don't know. But the reality is that people need this type of information. They need to have full information before they, they take their child or go in themselves to have a vaccine a booster. They need to know uh, yeah. what the risks and benefits are as best we understand them. And where there is a, a serious criticism like Dr. Malone is providing, they need to hear that. They need to have that uh, access to that so that they can decide whether they personally want to take these risks and then take them for their family. If the vaccine were risk-free, which is not possible, but if it were risk-free, that would be, and you could prove it, and there wasn't scientific dissent from that proposition, yeah. that would be one thing. But we have a vaccine with numerous adverse effects, and they're not revealing all of the adverse effects before and, and the innovation that's happening to help people is not happening from within uh, the Biden administration or our established uh, alphabet soup agencies, the oligarchy, as you've described it, not happening, not coming from FDA, not coming from CDC. Furthermore, they're so invested in the vaccine. I mean, at this point, based on all the adverse effects, based on all the evidence that we're in the endemic phase, that the, 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 the virus circulating now is far less severe potentially in your body than getting vaccinated, Mm -hmm. You would think that they would abandon this insistence on, on the vaccine, overtly state that we are in this endemic phase, and tell the public the truth that it may be that getting vaccinated is worse than having the, this uh, endemic version of, the, of COVID and the circulating. I mean, you would expect open debate and discussion of that. It isn't happening because of the censorship. It is not oh. happening. And you know, there's a chilling effect with censorship that lingers beyond the overt acts of sense of suppressing people's speech. And that causes the whole community of scientists, doctors, whatever, to still, to this day, fear entering the debate. Because if they do that, they may be losing their profession. They may be risking their future. They may not get government grants for their research or whatever it is. 
-hmm. And that is not being dealt with either. The no. chilling effect that is happening is not being dealt with. Either. Briefly, as we wrap up the Sacred Fire of Liberty edition uh, with Jonathan E. Mord, I want to say a thank you to my friend Babry uh, at Folium PX, who also supports Jonathan E. Mord. And they have very innovative supplements that we utilize here, the antioxidants that I call them Chernobyl level that can you know respond appropriately to radiation and serious oxidative stress and damage. My mom, who's been you know struggling through the last few years, she used to go out dancing all the time. She's going to be 89 on the 29th of this month. Uh, Babry Center, the, the, the triumvirate, the folium PX, the folium immuno, and uh, the super antioxidant. And she was on the, on the 1st of January out dancing for the first time in a couple of years. I'm telling you, it's significant what you can do when you can counter the nonsense that's out there and also the dangerous toxicological immunosuppressive poisons that we're all exposed to at any age, but particularly those that are more vulnerable that have been here longer than most of us. And God bless you, Mom. I love you. And I thank you, Babry, for doing great work and supporting as well, Jonathan Emord. Uh, so check out Folium PX, F-O-L-I-U-M-P-X.com and use the code RSB10 to get 10% off. And as well, a shout out to our friends at Nutritional Frontiers and great work that in innovation, people that they're supporting, the practitioners are actually helping you, not frightening you, but empowering you with information and sus sustenance and substances that actually help. Jonathan, God bless you, my brother. It's so good to see you. I can't wait to see you on the road yeah. with a bunch of these events coming up. Everybody yeah. check out emordforva.com. Very exciting, Robert. Well, thank you, Jonathan. We'll see you soon. And thank you all. There's a whole other hour of broadcast healing coming up on the Robert Scott Bell Show. We're going all the way to Israel with my new friend, Chava, and she's growing organically in the Negev Desert. How is that possible? That's going to be really cool. So stick around. Lots more healing to go on the Robert Scott Bell Show where the power to heal is yours. All right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Robert Scott Bell Show. We talk human interest stories around the globe, around the world. And for those of you who believe it's flat, that's fine. I'll call it a globe anyway. You're not too offended, are you? We have a good time here bringing the power to heal back where it belongs with each and every one of you. And one of the main ways to do that is to reconnect with the planet that we live on, however you perceive its shape. That is, what grows in it? What grows on it? How does it grow? What's good to consume? What's good to eat? What's something you might want to avoid? How to grow. You know, it's a big part of this show over the years as we've uh, evolved in our understanding that food that arrives just in time because we have uh, semi-free flow of oil and have had for some generations now that you don't have to work for your food. You, you work for something, whether it's dollars in America that are not really dollars or whether it's shekels in the... Uh, <laughs> in the country of Israel that are backed by little more than the dollars are or little less, who knows? This is a, a big part of the healing, the food that we eat. Do we grow it? Do we partake in it? Do we participate in its growth? Uh, our buddy Kevin Tuttle has connected me with another, a new friend about to be here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Two websites I'm gonna let you know about this hour. Nettlesandpins.com. It's a folk school and craft shop out of Israel. Nettles like stinging nettles and uh, the pins we're going to find out about. And then the other website, and it's linked up in the show notes today when this airs at robertscoutbell.com, ancientrootsisrael.com. 
And and I was thinking, you know, I've been to Israel a few times in my life, and it was somewhat before I understood the importance of organic agriculture, you know, in my youth. And the question is, how much has the movement of biologique, if you say it in French, or organic, I'll have to ask her how to say it in Hebrew. My Hebrew is somewhat rusty. But as we air, it's morning for me right now as we're recording and afternoon or evening for her. So I'm going to say, this is, this is bad, but I'm going to try it. Boker Tov, Chava Dagan. And I know it's not morning That's nice. That was good. That's all right. For, for someone that's very rusty and, and you know, embarrassed to some degree, you know, and we talk about our, my mom from Israel originally, it was Palestine at the time. She lived through the, uh, the war for independence and saw things firsthand that we can't even imagine here in the United States. And you originally came from the United States and moved there. And uh, I just, I just look at, you know, say, mom, how come I don't know more languages? You speak five. She says, I didn't have the patience. I didn't have the patience to teach you. (laughs) And I understand that as a parent now. So (laughs) welcome to the Robert Scapbell show. Thank you. It's great to be here. So I understand you, you immigrated from uh, San Diego area. Were you into uh, natural health and and food and organic agriculture and, and permaculture, anything like that back then? Or is this something that started for you when you went to Israel? Well, uh, it's kind of a, a progress, a progressive kind of movement. So when I grew up, I grew up on a horse ranch. We, my parents were very into, are still into horses and riding. So it was always an outdoor, you know, camping, riding kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went off to a university in Oregon, Eugene, and I was walking by um some little office. I didn't even realize it, but it said Peace Corps over the door. And I was like, I've heard of that. And I kind of went in, took some flyers, took some brochures, and that started this whole interview. I mean, it just was crazy. But in the end, thank God, um, I got into the Peace Corps and I served in Sri Lanka. Wow. uh, Okay. After I graduated. So when I was in Sri Lanka, Mm -hmm. that's when it all began because they kind of dropped me off in the middle of a jungle. Mm-hmm. Um, I climbed to the highest mountain and built a little mud hut. And there's no electricity, no running water. Everything was down from the river. Um, people were just picking bananas and mangoes off of trees. This is how they lived, walking around barefoot everywhere. How, were, cars you, were, were you prepared for that either in San Diego or Eugene, Oregon? I mean, come on, that sounds radically different from an American lifestyle. I know. So when I grew up in uh, in San Diego, there there was always like, you know, it's perfect there. I mean, the weather's perfect. I had the best friends. Life is wonderful. The beaches, the mountains, the desert. But there's always like, I'm not happy. Not happy. I wouldn't want to say happy. I wasn't um, satisfied. There was always something. I don't know if it was a travel bug. I don't know if it was just I was looking for something. I didn't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So I was always traveling. I moved to Philadelphia, then to Oregon. And I still was like ready for this movement. Where else am I going to go next? I had a dream of living in a caravan, driving around. And I did travel all over America and Canada and Europe. And then um, when I got to Sri Lanka, I, you know, this this a whole new world opened up for me and and I was able to do things that I had never even thought possible for myself. I didn't know I had skills. I did, I was just a college student, you know? Well, you were were called in a new environment to adapt to it. And sounds like you, you very much took to it. 
Uh, and, and what you describe to me, I call divine discontent. You know, you can have everything, you know, in a perfectly almost utopian reality, because some would say San Diego growing up there, having access to good, clean food, sunlight, water, all of that uh, is lovely and having good friends. But if there's something else urging you on and you you followed that bliss, who knew it would end up in the Peace Corps in Sri Lanka and what that would do to transform you to do what you do today, which we're going to get into. And it's interesting, Sri Lanka, a recent one of my good friends here appears on the show from time to time, PhD, naturopath, Dr. Ravi Kulasekara, originally from Sri Lanka. And we talked about in the last couple of years what was happening there in their uh, forced conversion to organic agriculture. As much as I support growing things organically, it was devastating to stop on a dime and just start over when most people are not actively growing their own food other than what you say can grow there naturally. And so you're not ready to make that transition in an instant, even though it might be a desirable goal overall. So when you were there in Sri Lanka, how long ago was that? Um, I graduated in 94. So from 94 to 96. Okay. Long before a lot of these controversies we hear about, even though they existed in terms of globalism and uh, loans through the World Bank and, and IMF that you know, okay, basically conscript nations and their people, the debt that can never be repaid. Just give us access to your natural resources and your and your labor, right. and then we'll give you money for infrastructure, right? That, that was happening and has happened for a long time, but more aggressively, more recently with these things called ESG scores. Uh, I'm sure even Israel is party to some of these things that we're witnessing. Certainly the U.S. is struggling right now with these attempts to alter our culture based on uh, some sort of equity, which is a is a, how would I say, a code word meaning communism. And when I went to Israel, one of the trips, you know, a lot younger, I was in uh, high school age and I studied microbiology at the Hebrew University in Jerusalem for a while. Uh, I got to tour the country, of course, and my grandmother was still alive then, got to visit with family and uh, my mom was there. Um, you know, of course, we went to the kibbutz and visited it. And and it was interesting going back to the history that, that I read about the United Nations vote to you know, make Israel, a, you know, an independent nation. And the, the Soviet Union, from my memory banks, was the first to say yes, because they liked the kibbutz concept. It was more socialistic, which which gravitated more toward, uh, uh, you know, a communist uh, sympathy. Yet much of Israel has uh, excelled internationally and economically because of capitalism, because of free markets, although uh, much of the free markets in America are not truly free markets. They're very managed in uh, the monopoly of, of medicine, especially. And we've seen that rear its ugly hell, head, the hellish head, yes, in Israel recently with uh, uh, Netanyahu apparently participated in selling his people out to Pfizer uh, uh, for experiments. And now he's prime minister again. It's interestingly enough. So I, I threw a lot out there in my thoughts just talking to you because you're there on the ground. And I'm always curious and intrigued to learn about what we don't hear about in the mainstream media about what's happening on the ground there, especially with your focus on uh, natural health, natural medicine, more uh, organic agriculture and self-sustainability, but not from a centralized bureaucracy planning it, but by, you know, pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps and learning how to work the land. That's right. Uh, Yeah, things got uh, pretty ugly here. Um, But I'll tell you, I saw from a distance what was happening um, because I am so far removed, I live all the way down in the Negev, in the Western Negev. So we're out on a Moshav, um, which means we own our own farmland and it's very rural. Um, most of my day is spent 
outside gardening, we have um, sheep and goats and all the animals you can imagine, mm -hmm. horses and chickens and everything else. Uh, and I have six boys, so homeschooled. To keep them and me busy, um, we take care of them. And so I know what's happening. Um, I saw the masks take over and what Netanyahu did and all of that. But it's it was so horrible. And and the thing that I one of the things that I love so much about living in Israel is that Israelis will argue about anything. Who came <laughs> first in line? Who, yes. who was there in first in line? They have their little ticket to prove it, but they went to the post office until mm -hmm. they're, and then they come back. No, I was here. And then a big argument starts when you're, you know, which, which cottage cheese to get. I mean, anything and everything. And I loved it because everyone was so opinionated and mm -hmm. so passionate about their opinion, which is all it was. Yes. Um, and then Corona hit and, and that was it. Everyone fell in line like a bunch of ducks. And I was looking around and I'm like, where am I? What, what happened, happened to yeah. my beloved country where all the argument, no one is asking questions. And so I kind of stepped back. I had no one to talk to in terms of my neighbors or places that I would normally go. Cause the moment I would raise, you know, I didn't put on a mask and all of a sudden I was escorted out of a store one time by with a gun from a security officer. It was like, what is happening to these people that I called my family? And so I just learned to keep my mouth shut, not wear my mask, not make eye contact, get in and out of places as fast as possible. And that was it. Wait a, until the a, storm is over. What a disappointment. But we've seen that around the world here in the United States as well. Yeah. Families divided, friends divided over this issue. And, the, you know, the question of uh, historical uh, precedent and or knowledge, what was greatly disappointing to me from afar is like the, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, many of whom are descendants of those that, you know, those who survived uh, the Nazi concentration camps and the wholesale slaughter. And I know it wasn't Jews only, but still, you know, it's in, impacted into our DNA. And yet they couldn't see the, the, you know, the stickers that they would wear to show that they were vaccinated, how this was somewhat similar to the stars of David that were, you know, made to wear to divide, you know, the Jews from everybody else. I, I was just astonished by how successful the military slash medical industrial complex was in frightening people beyond their own legacy, lineage, and history. Yeah. And, and I feel like for the most part, I mean, a lot of people are waking up, thank God. A lot of people are waking up. Um, but they never really came back to themselves since that happened. There was like this before, you know, everyone has an opinion and everyone has an opinion and everyone's different. And now all of a sudden they just kind of, they gave up all of that. I feel like their passions have gone out. Um, and, and again, this is what I see on the ground. I am not watching TV. I don't know, you know, the politics of everything. I well, just, I, I, I want to hear this. Believe me, this is what I want to know. That's why I'm asking you these questions. I know we're going to talk a lot about the wonderful things you're doing there too. I just want to know on the ground, because this is the stuff that's not being covered on TV. To me, that's irrelevant. You know, the internal politics of Israel, I'm not even so concerned about. That's because I'm not there at the same time. I'm just concerned the compassionate human experience. Do you have the freedom to say no to the jab, despite all of the uh, apparent mandates that were going on? Was it impossible? You, you described how difficult it was, but you seem to be able to make it through. And have you found a new tribe, funny enough to say it that way, within Israel of people that did not fall prey to the fear-mongering and could see the parallels to history manifesting in the midst of 
you know, being sold out to Pfizer, for instance, for experimental jabs. So that's exactly what brought us together. We, we were ostracized from our own families, from our temples, from our, you know, all of our schools, the children. I mean, everything, all of a sudden, uh, children were not accepted into schools because of their, their situation with the jab, their masks, their testing. And so parents started saying, wait a minute, and pulling their kids out, finding alternatives to go to, you know, services. Um, and new tribes, like you say, like all of a sudden Telegram, you know, exploded and we're all starting new channels and, and people are flooding in. And mm. we really did find a whole alternative universe. The whole world obviously experienced this, but it was it was on that other side, very, very upsetting. But on this new side, it was so invigorating. And all of a sudden, I am OK to talk about the jab, the mask, the test, the, the, you know, all this stuff. But outside, you, you can't say a word. You can't say a word. And it's really scary to walk around like that, knowing that any moment they can change again. Right now, everything's relaxed. Uh, I did get through all of it. My children um, were homeschooled, but I had two in school. Um, I pulled them right out because they started testing either daily or three times weekly, some crazy number. Mm -hmm. um, I, I pulled the, them out. The Not to mention... Uh, Chava, where are the doctors and scientists that could see the falsity of the tests themselves, the lack of validity, standardization? I mean, it's embarrassing. And I, and I realize Israel prides itself on being very scientifically oriented, medically advanced, yet they fell as, as stupid as any country on the planet to this. Fell prey, and, and particularly the elite class of medical people and scientist people that know better or should know better. And they fell right in line. Is there any uh, accountability? Is, is Netanyahu even, as now prime minister again, acknowledge any wrongdoing in, in the, the, the dealings with Pfizer, for instance? So right in the beginning, there were Israeli studies coming out about what's going on also with masks, I think, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, with testing and with the jab. Yes. They were completely hushed. You wouldn't hear one thing about it in Israel. It would come out in English to other places. If there was any anything um, against, you know, the government word, whatever that means, mm -hmm. um, it was hushed. It was silent. You, you wouldn't hear it at all, at all. And there probably were scientists who were doing these studies. Someone was doing the studies, but it was not getting out. And uh, and even now, I have people that I work with. I have neighbors, and they have so many problems. The poor things. They have so many serious health issues. And when they ask their doctor, what could this be from? They say, we have no idea. And they say, well, will it come back if it's lessened in its severity? And they say, we have no idea. And they say, well, what could I do to help myself? We have no idea. And that's it. That's what they tell them. And they get off the hook. And so the parent people walk out of their offices and say, well, you know, doctors just don't know everything about the human body. And that's it. They're off the hook. Could this lead to the rise of homeopathy and naturopathy and herbalism in Israel? Uh, maybe shifting our value system to not praise and worship the mental demigods of medicine as opposed to other natural forms of healing? So, again, with these new communities that have arisen and people every day waking up every day, every day, thank God, every day waking up mm -hmm. as they are looking for alternatives. 
they are. But the mainstream regular Israeli walking around, no, no question. It was just, you know, well, the doctors don't know. Still worship. Yeah, I could never stomach that, uh, even though I was raised medically, pharmaceutically. And of course, you praise the doctors. Uh, you know, often if you go to temple, you know, the, the, the rabbi will praise the doctors in the, in the, in the, you know, the community. And I thought these are the, these are the people that are responsible as the third leading cause of death in the West. And I don't find that very praiseworthy outside of, you know, individuals that can save you through emergency trauma interventions, which I acknowledge. Uh, also the, the famous study, I believe it was from the 1970s when, uh, the physicians went on strike from the hospitals, the hospital shut down at a time in Israel and the mortality rates in the whole nation plummeted. It was so, so astonishing. And then when the hospitals went back, the doctors went back to work, the, the mortality rates went right back up to where they were. And this has happened to other places where they've seen the same thing. And we have lost our way. I, I, I'm going to dare say spiritually, because we are worshiping man, not God in those cases. And so uh, the Jewish people there in Israel have a lot to atone for. And, you know, I speak in, in my own heritage here and how disappointed I am. But you're there. I'm not. So I, I, that's why I'm asking you the questions from the ground. I sense these things, but you're, you're confirming some of them and also showing some very hopeful awakenings that are occurring, like the work you're doing with ancientrootsisrael.com, as well as nettlesandpins.com. And I want to, you know, move into that discussion with you as far as your evolution from Sri Lanka and what it opened you up to do. And then you eventually moved to Israel. And now you say you're in the Negev desert. That's the next question is how are you getting water in the desert? What's the technology there that allows for a desert farm to flourish? So most of the water comes from uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's piped down, but we also recycle and desalinate water. And then it's shipped all over. We mm -hmm. have an underground aquifer. I'm not sure if they're actually tapping into that for a, probably for some of it, but not for all of it. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, most of it's just shipped down. So farming in the desert, you've been successful. Of course, when I moved to the high desert from the, uh, the Eastern Southeastern U S it, it's very dry, not as much water, but boy, when you have access to water, it is so much easier to grow. If you have good soil, for instance, because very few bugs, a lot of, you know, the critters that I'm used to, or the, uh, extreme humidity that could be very damaging to certain crops and things. So in that way, I would imagine that you probably have a pristine growing environment if you know how to recycle and rehabilitate the soil and not use toxic chemicals. Yes, absolutely. Um, there have been a lot of instances in Israel. We have, you know, you move over five kilometers, you have an entirely different climate uh, from mm -hmm. before. So up in the north, it's whatever it is. And in the center of the country, it's whatever it is. And in the Negev and the western and the eastern. So where we are in the western Negev, it is just sand dunes. Mm -hmm. That's that's the soil that we have to work with, which if you think about the Sahara Desert or the Gobi Desert or whatever, yeah, no one's growing anything. You can't grow in those conditions. Um, but here, uh, they were growing um as a huge industrial crop bananas up at this near the sea of galilee mm -hmm. and there was some disease that attacked all the trees and they said well what do we do with the bananas and someone came up with an idea well you can grow them in the negative it's open out there it's big it's deserty and they said no way that's not the climate for the bananas they, they need humid they need hot but mm -hmm. they tried it and now if you look around here bananas everywhere 
They are thriving in the desert. It's like the strangest thing, but that, uh, that's been repeated with many different crops. So yeah, anything can grow out here in the correct conditions and yeah. we can create those conditions. Are you, are you dealing with, you know, going back to Fahrenheit, uh, triple digit summers, hundred degree plus summers, dry heat, or is it, is it more nineties for, for desert there? No, when it like July, August is the hottest. It's, yeah. it's an oven. It's, it's hot, but I live about five miles from the, from Gaza, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is a beach. And yeah. yes, I can't go surfing there, but I do get the breeze. Um, so even though it's hot, we are totally open out here because it's so rural. We don't have high rises. We don't have pavements. We don't have, you know, all the city sidewalks and all those things. So this yeah, breeze pulls it down. And because yeah. it's so open, I really feel so much better here than going in the same day mm -hmm. to Jerusalem, somewhere up high in the mountains. It's totally a different heat. And, you got and the really artificial nice. heat dome of the, you know, the, all the rocks, pavement, all of that attracting and holding heat. That's true. So when we talk, <clears throat> talk about this nettles and pins, folk school and craft shop, is it actually there at the Negev where you are? Yeah, it's right on my farm. So this is something that you would encourage people to visit. Are you teaching classes there or is it a remote only? Tell me a little bit more about this. Okay. So, um, what I used to do before COVID hit <laughs> was I wanted to teach people because I just went again back in Sri Lanka. I saw how happy people were. They were just so simply happy. No one needed, you know, the next whatever electronic device or, you know, okay. as a bad example. Yeah. Um, they just woke up in the morning and they went out and hacked coconuts and coconut leaves. That's what our roofs were. We braided them together. We got our water down. You know, everything was so simple and in tune with the jungle. We lived with cobras. We lived with scorpions and other really dangerous snakes. But, you know, it was like, okay, we learn how to deal with them and you just keep moving on. You don't walk around scared. Um, I loved this idea. I just loved the pure joy from almost needing nothing. Just to survive and they were hanging out with each other. Everyone had lice, everyone. And we would spend all afternoon, all the women, there would be one behind me and one behind her and one behind, and we would just sit there and talk and pick out lice. I mean, it sounds horrible, but it was like- oh, How foreign of a concept that is what you're describing <laughs> to what most people know in the Western world. And yet there can be great fulfillment in the simplicity and the, in the stillness, the quiet and the slowness, shall we say. And, right. and for many in the West, to gain, you know, we talk about, oh, I need a break. I need a vacation. It's to go and sit and commune with nature is often the healing that happens. I found a similar benefit just from being able to go out and garden to grow food. Now, since we're so seasonal where I am now, we have four seasons. I have a greenhouse, two greenhouses, but it's, it, to me, it's still not the same as being outside doing that. And that's where I gain the solace in, in the midst of the crazy that we deal with uh, and have uh, participated in creating and become accustomed to. Uh, so what I think you're doing is so valuable, perhaps as valuable as anything right now, because our sanity has to be restored. And I don't think it's going to be restored via technology. If anything, we'll be further disconnected from our spiritual essence, our true home in nature via that. And so I, I'm encouraged. I mean, if I, if, I, if I get back to Israel to visit, I'm coming to see you. I'm, I'm going to check it out and, and, and see what you're doing there because it looks fascinating. Is that something... Have people come from other parts of the world and learned of your, your school now to come to see you? Um, so, okay. So wait, let me back up. So okay. after um, coming here, when I, when I came here, which was 
and unexpected and whatever, I ended up landed here. Um, I just really, as a mother, got into, you know, going back to breastfeeding, homeschooling, keeping your children close, eating from nature, like you say, gardening, growing your own food. These are like so, I was hungry for more. I ended up, you know, learning how to make my own soap and make my own bread and make my own cheese and make my own, and it just one thing leads to the next. And I wanted everyone around me. I saw how so distanced, so far away from these very traditional, thousands of years traditional skills mm -hmm. that no one has anymore. Yeah. So I kind of was like bubbling. I just wanted to teach other people. And before it was for fun. It was like, let's get back into our traditions. Let's get back into our roots. Let's get back into where we came from because we don't know how to do anything anymore. And then COVID hit and those fun, let's go back to our tradition turned into, we have to do this to survive. If right. we don't learn these skills, we won't know how to eat and how to make fire outside. Or, you know, if we don't have electricity, what are we going to do? Oy. Um, and so I really started pushing this idea uh, to everyone, everyone through, I was writing blogs and doing videos um, and then teaching my neighbors as much as I can, but they're so not interested. Um, and so then, because English is my native language, so I started I was more doing it in Hebrew before because this is what I saw as the people around me. I wanted to help them. I also wrote a book um, about natural parenting just to help them. <laughs> um, Fantastic. So, so after COVID hit, this became like, okay, now people, this is no more, no more time for messing around. Let's really learn these skills. Mm -hmm. So I started doing workshops, which is what I do. So I have people come um, on very small level and we will do one skill at a time, sewing or wow. candle making or water conservation or whatever it happens to be so that they will make it through the craziness. Fantastic. So did you find that because of co the COVID crisis that more of the Israelis nearby suddenly were paying attention? Yeah. Definitely. Okay. All well, of a sudden. That, yeah, that's the positive. And for those of you who want to learn more uh, at the Robert Scott Bell show notes, uh, robertscottbell.com, nettles, and pins.com is the site specific to what we're talking about. I see listed here that is it like the last Sunday of every month you do these workshops as well? That's what's listed. That's right. Well, it's not the last, it's also the first and the last. Yes. The first and the last. I see it. Okay. And and so that's an opportunity. Uh, and I know Israel's a small country. Uh, so if you're listening in Israel, we do have some fans there that listen. But for those that want to visit, you might add this probably. It's not in the tourist books yet. But uh, now that you're finding out about it through the Robert Scott Bell Show, you might find a new destination when you visit. Uh, also, I want to talk to you about uh, the ancientrootsisrael.com uh, and how that relates, because it looks like there's an uh, herbal conference as well that may be coming up and things that we can participate in, which is, sounds very exciting. Uh, let me just say a quick, quick note, if you, if you don't mind. I've got to say thanks to uh, my friend Babri, who's also, uh, he actually... Uh, was in um, Tbilisi in Georgia when they were occupied by the Soviet Union. And he escaped, got one of the few passes that they got to go to Israel uh, in the early 70s. And he was in Israel for many years now. He's in America, but a nice man, kind man, really caring man. And he has helped to bring out to the world this Folium PX product, Folium PX, F-O-L-I-U-M-P-X.com, a supercharged, I call it Chernobyl level antioxidant. 
And my mom, who's 88, about to turn 89 this month, has, uh, by the way, her her book, I always say this on her birthday, if you want to give her a birthday gift, buy her book. It's called A Life of Many Colors, From Israel to America, Her Journey. And it's quite extraordinary what she has witnessed. I was talking with Chava before we went to air about the fact, because Chava is in the Negev. And uh, my mom was the first woman to walk in high heels in the Negev Desert at the time of independence, you know, and she flew around Moshe Dayan and, and others, uh, you know, going back to in the day. It's quite extraordinary. But uh, uh, Babri, uh, who's my friend, he has sent her the uh, the three, the triumvirate of their Folium PX to get her on. And she's been suffering through COVID, not with COVID as far as we know, but she had some skin issues that were not responding to anything. And uh, a lot of the energy was zapped from her. So she would go out dancing so much. We would brag about her. And over the last two and a half or so years, she she lost that opportunity and ability. And within the last, uh, you know, a uh, few weeks before when she started on the Folium PX, she started, she went out and danced on New Year's Day. So this is great news. And I want everybody to think about this. For someone at 88 turning 89, how, if they were helped that much, what could it do for you? And you can use the code RSB10 to get either 10% off, or if you talk to uh, Babery, if you would rather have free shipping, I'm sure he'll flex with you on that, but go to foliumpx.com and get that. Also upcoming events, the Trinity School of Natural Health, trinityschool.org also supports us with the Trinity Health Freedom Expo, trinityhealthfreedomexpo.com. We have our virtual expo February 18th and 19th. You can join us from all over the world, only 30 bucks to get three months of access to all of the things we did at the event, plus more events that are happening through your app, the, the Whova app. And uh, that's going to be uh, phenomenal. we got more upcoming events as well. We'll let you know about. But right now, I want to go back to Chava, uh, who's joining us all the way from Israel. And I thank you for your patience there. And uh, talk about this ancientrootsisrael.com website. Uh, I don't know if it's affiliated. Is it, I think it's related to what you do. There's a press release here about an herbal conference uh, coming up uh, very shortly. It looks like January 22nd through the 24th. Uh, so, yeah, very soon. Um, yeah, so I'm on the planning committee. Um, this is our second time that this has been put together. It's in English in Israel. And um, the organizer, J. Rivka Asulin, has brought together masters, master herbalists, and mother herbalists, and community herbalists, and local herbalists, and people from all over the world. Um, to come and talk herbs for two and a half days up near the Sea of Galilee. Just beautiful, beautiful. We'll be staying up there. There's workshops, there's foraging walks, there's um, talks, lectures, scientific, more, uh, you know, hands-on. There's so much going on. They're so excited. I'm also one of the speakers. Um, and this is the second time. The first time Mm -hmm. uh, they were hit with BDS really bad, which ended up turning into really great advertising, uh, <laughs> but they survived it. And, uh, here we are again after COVID, um, thank God it's all coming together. And yes, it's very, very soon. We're so excited. So do you have, I'm, I'm just looking at the website now and you guys check it out. It's linked up again in the show notes today, ancientrootsisrael.com. Uh, do you have people coming from around the world or is it all Israel? You said it's going to be in English. That's right. Yeah. We have herbalists coming from all over the world and we have participants coming from all over the world. 
There's a Telegram and Signal uh, app connection. So if you want to check it out, look link on that and you can find out more details if you'd like to, to be there. Uh, there's a way to join the email list as well. I'm seeing that you want to join up and, and learn more about it. Again, I'm very encouraged by what's happening. It takes, unfortunately, a lot of disasters and tragedies to wake people enough to realize how important it is to go back to the basics, to our, you know, ancient roots. And that's a classic way to say it, ancientrootsisrael.com. That bodes well, I believe, for the future there. Uh, and, you know, technology is great. It's fun, but it can also be dehumanizing. And, you know, my fear uh, for the people of Israel is what we've witnessed is this overemphasis on the mind and technology is causing a, a great disconnect yeah. from our source. And that source, that divinity is not necessarily a mental construct. And even all the advances that are pretty cool, I can acknowledge that it is going back to those ancient roots. And connecting. I mean, we can yeah. connect virtually just like we are here. But if you can actually just, you know, charge up on each other's energy and fill up on the wisdom of these amazing speakers and each other. And we have people, you know, that are total amateurs. They hardly know what an herb is. And then we have people who are seasoned and, and have all these initials after their names. And we have them all coming together, some Jewish, some not Jewish, some super religious, some, you know, it, from all walks of life. And we all come together in this amazing land at this amazing time of the year. It's all green and lush. And it's just gonna be so exciting. Yeah, we're really excited. <laughs> So we're looking January 22nd through 24th. Um, that is going to be, let's see. Good Lord. That's yeah. I'm looking for when this is going to be. We're about a, a week out from when this is airing. I now I, I know when this is going to air. So we're going to get you a week advanced for those of you who have last minute travel options to go to Israel. Or for those of you in Israel are listening that don't know about this. My gosh, this is the place to be for that weekend, 22nd through 24th of yeah. uh, January. Uh, 2023. Now, what are you going to be speaking on specifically? Because you have a wide array of topics you can cover. Right. So I am, uh, yeah, this is really exciting for me because I am a farmer. Um, and again, I have all the animals and I live way remotely. Um, and when I first became a mother, a new mother, had no idea about anything natural other than I just wanted to go that route. So then we got animals and it was like the same thing. If I'm my children's doctor, uh, basically I have to be my animal's veterinarian because there's no one around me. There's no one to ask. There's no one to help me. So what do I do if I just let them become ill or God forbid, you know, anything else? So I have to help them. I have to treat them. So this is what I'm talking about. When we come to an herbal conference or most herbal discussions center around people. Mm -hmm. And that's amazing. And that's great. And you can help you know, treat your families and take care of, keep everyone healthy. Mm -hmm. um, but what about your animals? So I'm going to go and I'm going to talk about that because your pets, livestock, whatever it might be, also deserve the uh, respect of using herbs and treating them naturally so that they can thrive just like you want your families to. How is the regulatory environment in Israel? I'm sure they're probably not messing with you way out in the, in the, what we call the boonies in America, in the desert there. But to talk about natural medicine, homeopathy, naturopathy, herbalism, um, it, again, it's a very medically oriented and respectful culture, worshipful even. And, and, you know, we have our U.S. FDA, our friends in Canada have Health Canada, very antagonistic uh, or, you know, look look at these natural things with antipathy, uh, not embracing uh, the, the successes we have personally, as well as your ability to care for your own family, your kids, and 
the animals there. Uh, so what is the environment uh, uh, on the ground again in Israel as it relates to government and has it changed a lot because of COVID? So I can really only speak for my area. Um, the thing about Israel <laughs> is it's bureaucracy. So the right hand, we always make a joke about this. The right hand never knows what the left hand is doing and vice versa. So they will make laws and, you know, regular and send out bodies and, and people and vans and, but then no one really does it, you know? So, uh, I live in an area where, yeah, they kind of leave me alone until now. I don't know when that will change. I'm sure it sure. will, yeah. but they do make all kinds of, now your pets have to get chipped and uh, tested for COVID and, you know, all these, stupid, but nobody does it. Mm -hmm. So no one comes to check. And so they just keep making these outlandish statements, but I'm, yeah. I'm not affected by it. Well, and, and everybody, you know, re remembering how I grew up in America, I wasn't surrounded by firearms. So, you know, people outside of America think everybody has guns in America. Well, it's not true. You have a, it, depending on where you are, the freedom to do. But then my son came along and he was like born with a firearm in his DNA. Uh, and so we've become somewhat experts. I'm not, but he is. And, I, you know, I, I appreciate that. Now, when I went to Israel as a young, young person, of course, you see um, you know, the soldiers were walking around the streets and everybody is part of the army. Ultimately, even my mom served in the Israeli army growing up uh, when, when it became a nation, uh, you know, Uzis, whatever. The, what about as a farmer out there? You obviously have to have a ability to protect yourself. Uh, so is that part, again, of the culture? They understand you, the, the idea that you're surrounded by enemies. I wish it weren't that case, but I find that when humans are left alone and not messed with by centralized bureaucracies, you, you tend to find a way to get along because it's every, in everybody's best interest to do so. Well, things get a little uh, murky there. Yeah. So one thing is, yeah, I have, you know, we, me, my husband, my son, my, my soldier son, we all have um, guns as well. Um, but in terms of if I tried to use it, I would probably get in big trouble. That doesn't scare me. If I need to use it, I'm going to use it. But in terms sure. of their, their laws. Yeah. Um, even our soldiers are not so protected and as to what they can do with their guns. I'm speaking um, for self-defense. I mean, my gosh, uh, you know, the, you have this concept of a nation that has to always be on alert because it's been surrounded by enemies that wanted to see it pushed to the sea. Uh, yet what about the individual's right to defend themselves, right? That's sometimes lost there. So, yeah, um, sadly, and again, the government changed. I don't know what that's supposed to even mean, but we have a very leftist kind of mentality now. So that meaning Israel, who has a very defined and definite enemy, mm -hmm. um, they don't really know who their enemies are anymore. And it's really scary because the courts are backing that up, the lawyers, the, the police, and the government, like everybody. So they're coming down harder on the Jews who are trying to protect themselves rather than those who are perpetrating the whole mess. Yeah, we're seeing that <laughs> happen here in the United States as well with you know, defending the, the criminals uh, or somehow decriminalizing criminal behavior and then going exactly. after people that are not criminals or you know just for wanting to defend themselves. So this is, to me, a globalist agenda impacting as well the people of Israel, the nation of Israel. And, you know, as I always wonder, is there a pushback? Is there a resistance or is it a fait accompli, you know, that 
it's it's lost. I mean, what's the sense on the ground there as well? And I know you're far from it and probably don't want to engage in politics. And I, and I respect that, too. Yet recognizing what's happening here affects you in that small nation. Yeah. So there's a bunch of things, just like everything, you know, there was the Corona and then there's the mainstream and then there's all this undercurrent uh, coming from it. So there was all these Arab Spring. I don't know if you know about yeah. that. Um, and ever since it's happened a couple times very recently where they just decided to attack a city, burning tires, you know, all of these things. It's there like was BLM a, and Antifa here in the United States. We've seen yeah. These attacks. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. when my husband and I went and got our license, our gun license, we were like the only ones there because everyone's like, well, you know, everything's fine. What do we need one for? And then that happened. And now there's a year backup. And I know because my son just did it. There's a year backup of waiting to get your license because everyone rushed to now go get. Now all of a sudden they do feel that they have to protect themselves. Yeah. 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 Now it's interesting here in the United States, which, you know, you grew up there uh, before you left. The Constitution, you know, talks about a Second Amendment, which doesn't grant us a right to keep and bear arms. That's a misinterpretation. It acknowledges a God-given right to defend yourself, and that shall not be abridged or in any way reduced, even though it's been uh, regulated uh, unconstitutionally for a long time. And now we have 25 states and, and counting, climbing, that have reinstituted what we call constitutional carry, for lack of a better way to say it, that is, no permission required. You know, if you're uh, you have the right to keep and bear arms, you have the right to keep and bear arms by God. And I support that. I know some people don't understand that, but we're not talking about the illicit and illegal use of firearms, the ability for for people who are honoring fellow man, human, you know, child, everybody to defend themselves. And they don't have to ask permission of the government. So it's a, it's a little bit of a distinct difference, uh, even for those that are not fully on the left. Some people still questions like, whoa, you don't have to ask permission of the government. No, because. In America, the foundational uh, next level is to recognize that governments always become corrupt and will do whatever they can get away with. And the last line of defense against tyrannical government is a well-armed populace. And 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 so, I, you know, I just raised that discussion point simply because I know in Israel what you've lived through, especially my mom, because, you know, she lived through independence and everything that at any moment the enemies could attack and push you to the sea. And in the United States, we've been pretty much uh, removed from that, protected from that simply because of the nature of, you know, the, the oceans between us and things like that. So we don't have that concept, but the concept of individual sovereignty, if not national individual, that is like that, that you don't have a right to violate my life, liberty and property. Uh, so there's some semblance of maturing that may need to happen among the Israeli people, knowing what we're talking about right now. They, uh, I see it totally different, but, but mm -hmm. that's okay. As, as they see an enemy, mm -hmm. I'm just taking this to the left. Um, yeah. so, so when they rush off to, you know, the only way to get it here, um, mm -hmm. Israelis don't have that independent, uh, mentality that Americans do anymore. I think they used to, but they used to, yes. somehow it yeah. went away. Mm -hmm. Um, so everything is through the government. And yeah. if we're going to do it legally, fine, we'll do it legally. Um, they see an enemy as the enemy, whereas I see an enemy as someone might show up at my door and try to take my kids. Right. That's I have one, not because of some Arab Spring, at least. So, I, no, I uh, totally get that. That's where I was going with this to recognize that the right to yeah. keep and bear arms is an individual right. Uh, and it's, a, you know, it's a life saving and life protecting right. 
And and though, you know, many on on the political left believe that, you know, if you want a gun, you're automatically a criminal and you want to kill people, which is not true. Or else, you know, how many people own guns in America and how many people are actually using it to commit crimes? In fact, more people are protected by by good people that have firearms from crime. Then they don't report that because we have a, a leaning media against that idea. Um, so those who appreciate the right to keep and bear arms are not advocating wanton slaughter of people they don't like even. It's about defense of life, not to take it. And that prevention of need, the need to take it when you know, hey, somebody is well-armed, I might not want to engage in crime. They always say a polite society stems from a well-armed society. Uh, but again, these are uh, concepts that we won't solve just by having a conversation, but I do appreciate engaging in that conversation as well. Uh, and understanding the differences in the cultures, what you've seen from both America Israel, you might be able to write a reverse autobiography like my mom wrote from Israel to America. Yours is from America to Israel. <laughs> Maybe one day. <laughs> yeah. So, when I have time in between the milking goats. Of course, of course. Now, <laughs> uh, I, I just want to wrap up here with uh, some discussion of, um, well, again, some, some, of the, some of the cultural things and, 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 and coming back to the food thing. What is the consciousness in, a, in Israel right now of the need for organic and non-GMO food versus chemical agriculture, pesticide poisoning, other things like that? Is there a growing awareness among the people of Israel? Are they still like, technology is great, I'll eat whatever, I don't care if there are pesticides on it? Not just pesticides, also GMO. Right. I get a lot of people telling me, no, but it has, you know, a better yield and it lasts longer and giving They're me all buying the benefits. The, the, the science, pseudoscientific lies, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the mainstream, again, there's always the undercurrent of people looking for um, the organic and the alternative, mm -hmm. but the mainstream is still, you know, blindfolded. They're just, what they follow after whatever the TV is telling them and, and they're not thinking twice. They really aren't. And so if I were to visit, would I have a difficult time eating the way I do organic? No, because there are so many organic, like in maybe Tel Aviv, Jerusalem, you'll find something like that. But out where I am, there's not even a restaurant. So good luck. <laughs> um, so you have to grow most yeah. of your own food uh, and you, you have shown an ability to sustain yourself, which is fantastic. But in, in other words, if you were to have to go out and get organic, you probably have to hike a long way. Well, if you know the right contacts, there are even people, farms that will deliver right to your door if you're in oh, their nice. area. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Well, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. Well, so in many ways, the cultures of the West do mirror each other. So similarly yeah. in the United States, even though there's a growing movement uh, for organic and non-GMO, there's still a significant portion of the population that's not yet aware and still believes the lies of, of the makers of genetically engineered ingredients or foods, et cetera. Uh, so, but again, the growth, the awareness is shifting. And I imagine somebody will probably present on that at the herbal conference coming up. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. And that one's at ancient roots, Israel, ancient roots, Israel, uh, com. And I know it's only a few days away from when this is airing. Cause this is airing. If, if I'm doing my math right on the 19th, so you have no time to get there. You have three days to get to Israel from the time of this airing. Get there. Well, if they happen to be here already, as they can oh, call yeah. up and order a ticket. Yeah. Yeah, please do. Again, I, it would be amazing. Uh, and perhaps I can coincide a visit one time with one of these events. That would be amazing to do Ooh. as well. So, uh, your kids, how old are they? You said, how many boys do you have? Six. 
six boys. You know, our friend Leslie, who's uh, in in uh, Missouri here in America, has six girls. Maybe they should get together. I don't know. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> how 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 old are, are the boys? Uh, my oldest is twenty three. My youngest is nine. Okay, so your oldest, obviously active in in the Israeli military, as required by law, uh, has he been able to avoid getting the COVID jab? Because this this they pretty much mandate it for soldiers, do they not? Uh, they did. They, I wouldn't say mandate, but they coerced them like mm-hmm. unbelievable, waking them up in the middle of the night and, and scare tactics and threats and, and court marshals. And uh, mm-hmm. it was horrible, horrible, horrible for those kids. I mean, they're just kids. Um, so yeah, my oldest was on his way out of the army. His service was finished. So he kind of dodged the bullet just by saying, okay. uh, you know, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then he was done. He delayed it until he got out of active duty. Right. And then yeah. my my second one went in um, kind of right when it was at its peak. Hmm. And, uh, and they put some massive pressure on him. But I think with all of my whisperings, um, he, withstood he it. stayed strong and he didn't do it. Oh, you have to oh, stay oh. strong. You just have to keep saying no. I would love to uh, meet them and, and congratulate them as well as having a mom like you and probably their dad has hopefully has been supportive of that uh, journey to show how strong they can be. My son is 23, same as your, your oldest. My, my daughter is uh, 17. And of course, they've never once been jabbed, any of them, and uh, never even had antibiotics because we utilize homeopathic medicine. Uh, we have the sovereign silver, the bioactive silver hydrosol. We have many mechanisms by which we can uh, navigate uh, You know, a, a normal life cycle that includes occasionally having infections and immune challenges. And I'm sure at this herbal conference, people will learn more about that from you and others that are coming together, which I'm you know grateful that we connected here. Yeah, this is awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So uh, anything else that you want to share uh, before we're wrapping up this, uh, this episode of the Robert Scott Bell show, this has been great. Um. First of all, you know, this is uh, really amazing. I was so surprised first for your mom's book and that she was here and all of that. So anyone, you know, you never know what connection people have to Israel. Israel is just one of those places that it's not just for Jews and it's not just for conflict and it's not all these things that you hear on the news. So many beautiful things are happening here. And when people come, they're so surprised that Things just kind of open up and blossom when they're here. Maybe connection, maybe things they didn't know, maybe people that they've met. There's something very magical here. So even if you'd never thought of visiting Israel, who knows? Maybe you should. Maybe just make a trip, you know, before all the world's restrictions start up again. Yeah. Um, this is a great time. All the plane, you know, whatever they have with the borders and what it's all down right now. And this is such a beautiful time. So if you ever get a chance, anyone out there and you never thought of visiting Israel, please do. If it isn't obvious, if you don't speak Hebrew, uh, everybody there speaks English and yeah. you know, they're always kind. It's not like when you go to France or Paris particularly, and they, oh, yeah. they, 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 they spit on you because you don't speak even <laughs> French the way they want you to. So no, been very friendly, and uh, hopefully one day I can broadcast uh, the show live from from there, and uh, that would be fun. And it seems like you have decent internet where you are, even in in the boonies of the desert. Yeah, yeah, technology is a big thing here. Yeah, it is. Well, God bless you, Chava. Uh, I will you. say uh, lahitrot, 
and uh, shalom and all of that. And, uh, you know, I appreciate all that you're doing there to bring sanity and connectivity uh, to, the, to the very soil of creation and how that can restore our, you know, our humanity. You know, no matter what exactly. beliefs are out there, nationalities, et cetera, that's where we can come together and connect and find commonality. And I appreciate that very much, all that you're doing. Yeah, well, thanks so much for having me. This is great. Yes, that's Chava Dagan uh, in Israel here on the Robert Scott Bell Show. Check out the conference. Links are up in the show notes at robertscottbell.com. For those of you who want to know about other upcoming events, we have an upcoming events tab at robertscottbell.com. We also have... Uh, uh, of course, all of the banners available to you, all the things that we utilize here to get us well and keep us well, including our friends at choosetobehealthy.com for 100% whole food nutrient supplementation. We don't like the synthetics so much. Of course, our friends at Cardio Miracle, keeping that nitric oxide flowing, the cardiovascular system healthy and happy and vital. And uh, boy, boy, there's so much more to talk about. And if anybody is still smoking and wanting to quit, we have the Crave Kicker, K-R-A-V-E, kicker it's an ayurvedic uh medicine it's a little small bottle you can drink it as mucinopurians it's thousands of years of recorded use to bump up the dopamine levels naturally not synthetically that can get you over your addictions that's a great thing there's so much more to talk about uh and i want to say one more shout out as well to our friends at nutritional frontiers we've got a big event coming up with them on the beaches of Clearwater. Talk about beaches. That's nice. A little retreat, a healing retreat. If it's not already sold out, check it out in the upcoming events tab of robertscottbell.com. And as we head out to uh, our next event, uh, of course, that's the big uh, Reawaken America tour with Clay Clark and them. Uh, I just say thank you all for being here. God bless you. Shalom. Why not? A little bit more Hebrew there. Y'all know what that means. And the power to heal is yours. 